today is still Friday, November 30th, 2018. Time for episode 68 of the Barnhart Podcast. And it feels like the end of the world, and I feel fine. Hey, what's the frequency, Kenneth? Are, right. are we? Do, is this the REM episode? Are you losing your religion yet, super nerd? I'm losing my mind, I think. <laughs> I, okay, so there's. I, I did a massive change of things. I did a, what I call an F35 upgrade on my side. It's it's new recording hardware. I'm not using the old mixer. Uh, same microphone. That's about the only thing that hasn't changed. New software for recording. An entirely new way of of putting this all together. Which, you know, it sounds cool from a geek's point of view but uh, the the ultimate goal here is i can have four or five more remote people on the conversation have all of their audio on separate channels and then i can master it just right afterwards and we started the uh this like i said this is take three the first one it was going great for about two minutes then i realized i never hit the record button so uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> i'm still learning the, the software but we were talking about uh the the, the whole topic of the end of the world uh, last Sunday was the last Sunday in, in uh, Pentecost. This next Sunday is the first Sunday in, in uh, Advent. And on both Sundays, the gospel contemplates the end of the world, uh, Christ coming again in glory. So it is the, the appropriate time, podcast-wise, liturgical-wise, to contemplate the end of the world and all that goes with that, including earthquakes in Alaska, storms hitting the East Coast of the United States, um, multiple bishops in white in Rome, and who knows what's going on in Washington. So we have everything, the whole dog's breakfast on a dumpster fire going on. It's hard not to have those thoughts occur to one, just watching the truly bizarre events. And, you know, um, with with earthquakes and storms and everything, the thing to remember is those those things have always been happening all along. So, you know, yes, our Lord does say that they there will be earthquakes in diverse places. But on the other hand, you know, they have a 7.0 up in Alaska. And right now the news, it looks like, thank goodness, there aren't any casualties or anything, but it looks like some of the roads and bridges are just absolutely shredded up there. So that's going to be a, a pain in the neck, especially, you know, being that it's the 30th of November going into going into the heart of winter for those people. But like I said, looks like right now they're saying there's no casualties. There was no tsunami. They canceled the tsunami warning. So that's all good. Um, but, you know, what, what is what is always the advice? What what should the advice be to every Christian for the last you know, 1,900, however many years it's been, um, you should, you should stay confessed. You should stay in a state of grace and be sober, be watchful because you know, not when the, when God will come from you or come for you, I should say. Absolutely. And you could, you could be greased by a bus on the street tomorrow. Oh, Hey, there's another piece of current events. Father Z, apparently not greased, but hit hard by a motorcycle on the streets of of Paris, apparently. And, you know, he was blogging and saying, I'm okay. And I mean, obviously, if a person is is blogging, they're they're not dying or anything, but he's probably going to be, you know, in quite a bit of pain for quite some time getting hit by um, hit by a motorcyclist. And I I sent him an email and I, I said, is, is it indelicate or too soon of me to ask if, if, the, uh, if the motorcycle was damaged? And he, he replied back and he, apparently the, the guy who hit him on a motorcycle just stood back up, you know, picked the bike back up and took off. It was almost, almost a hit and run, but not quite. But, you know, I guess Father Z had to go to the hospital and he's got broken things um I, I don't know what i didn't get into details i didn't want to bother him too much but good grief i mean you know yeah it could be it could it could be the second coming of christ in glory and the general judgment or it could be a frenchman on a motorcycle i mean you know one or the other um so be be ready and and go to confession and stay in a state of grace either way be prepared for the frenchman on the motorcycle speaking of french and uh the the glories of the french uh past and future uh one of the emails we got this week had Kind of, it didn't really directly touch on end times, but it sort of fits in. Uh, somebody was asking about whether or not the term martyr gets thrown around too easily in our modern times. Uh, Catholics are quick to use the term for the deaths of other Catholics in seemingly trivial ways. And some of the examples that were thrown up you know, with regard to, does this person really count as a martyr? 
uh, St. Joan of Arc talking about France. Was she a martyr for the faith or was she a political martyr because she was uh, getting in the way of the English? Uh, St. Maria Goretti, was she somebody who was you know, killed in passion because she wouldn't give in to something or was she killed because she's Catholic? Uh, Archbishop Vigano, if he's killed, is it just because he's an annoyance to uh, the, the power elite who want to run things or is it he being killed because he stands, he's being a witness in, in place of Jesus and somebody wants to kill Jesus? Now, my idea, not that anybody tapped me to figure out who should be labeled a martyr, but I would think that a criteria would be to Try to assess if the person who killed, um, who did the killing, was killing the victim because they would prefer to kill Jesus, but Jesus isn't there. This person's witnessing for Jesus, so this will, this will have to do for the time being. I'll kill you. It, just mm-hmm. like the holy innocents. They were killed because Herod was trying to kill Jesus. Right. They, that, that's, that's pretty cut and dry. They died for Jesus because that was the intention of the, of the murderer. Uh, the, the early Christians... Uh, the, the Romans and those who were you know, advising them to try to wipe out Christianity, they were doing that because they wanted to wipe out people who were witnessing to Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, were time, there was a, a case recently in, in uh, Africa where uh, some Muslim group got upset and burned down a church while, with the Christians inside and killed several people. But there, there was sectarian violence going on the whole time, and that was a revenge because somebody killed one of the Muslims. Is that because of faith or is that you know eye for an eye? you know, you know, blood debt kind of, kind of payback. I don't know. And hopefully in terms of, you know, who gets into heaven with, with the, the martyr's palm, I would hope that uh, my, my view is too pessimistic. Um, but I think we rush to give people, you know, accolades, um, especially now oh, that yeah. we get the standards for, for, for canonization are shockingly low at this point in time. What, what did they say for, Paul the Sixth. Somebody went outside in December and didn't catch a cold because they they uh, thought. Yeah, of they Paul forgot that they for, they forgot their scarf and didn't get a cold. So that was miracle number one. I mean that, and they keep doing this. You're absolutely right. It, and it isn't just saints. It's um, throwing around the word hero. Um, that that is such an overused to the point of meaningless word now, and that's something that really bothers me because I'm of the opinion that. Do doing the right, doing, you know, the the nominal baseline good that any human being should do in a given situation. I don't think that should be called heroic just because the rest of the society or the vast the vast majority of the people in the society are so far gone that they can't even be reliably counted upon or expected to do the the base normal human good in a you know in a violent or, or bad situation you know i mean you should for example you a father should run into a burning house to save his children or or um what would be another example during a mass shooting um men should shield women and children with their bodies, things like that, that, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome when people do that and you see, you see stories about this and, but what we should be thinking isn't, wow, that was truly, truly heroic. What we should be thinking is, Hey man, there's, there's a person who did what a normal moral human being should do. Great. And you know, yes, we can acknowledge that, that, just that ex- that expectation is now considered so far above and beyond the curve in the society and but we shouldn't i don't think we should allow ourselves to you know um to allow this this concept of heroism to be to be watered down thusly so there's watering down of heroism Obviously, the saint thing is just completely, totally off the rails. Um, you know, you said to me, I think, in one of our chat exchanges, that there are people who have been canonized who don't even deserve to have been called servant of God. And you know, Paul the Sixth, obviously, leaping to the fore of everyone's mind. Um, the that entire canonization process is just completely and thoroughly corrupted. Um, and then the other is, in fact, this term martyr. And I appreciate it. I think I think this 
um, citation was sent in by the listener, and this is part of his email. But I really appreciated, you know, the three bullet points, and I'll just go through them real quickly. Um, number one, it says one must suffer a corporal death. The reason for this is that the martyr is the most perfect witness of the true faith, inasmuch as he or she prefers to suffer death rather than suffer the loss of his or her his or her soul. Um, now, I will make a couple of there are some the, some exceptions to that. Um, the first is, of course, the Apostle John, who he his his mass is is of a martyr. It, it is the vestments are red, even though he died naturally. And remember, he died naturally because our Lord specifically prophesied to that. I mean, in no in no uncertain terms, our Lord said that all of the rest of them would be executed and that John would be the only one who would die naturally. The reason why John is given um, the mass of a martyr with red vestments is because, um, if you remember, in Rome, and <laughs> when I went to Rome, I actually went and saw this thing. It was, it was a pretty amazing experience. They threw John into a vat of boiling oil in an effort to execute him, in an effort to kill him. And, you know, he, did, he didn't die, and they pulled him out, and it was just like he'd had a spa treatment or something, you know. He was, he was, he was beautifully moisturized and glistening. Um, but this was this cruel method that they were trying to torture and execute him by, and it failed. And you can actually go in Rome you go in there, you go to the, I think it's the Latin gate or close to the Latin gate. And there's this little thing that looks like a gazebo sitting there. And you, and it wasn't open when I was there, but the church that's built next to it, of course, that was open. And so I was in there. Um, but you go up to this little gazebo and inside this little bitty gazebo thing is, is the pot, is the pot that they tried to boil John in. And so then, of course, right there, right next to this is the church of, you know, St. I think it's called St. John at the Latin Gate. And, of course, it's the church dedicated to this whole miracle of when they tried to kill him. So because they attempted to kill him and he was, of course, saved by a full-blown, all-out miracle— fulfilling our Lord's, you know, word that John would die naturally in old age. Um, he is, he's considered to have, I, I guess they would call it a white martyrdom or, and, and there are other saints. If you go to mass every day and you read the little blurb, there are a couple or, or three or four saints, I think during the course of the year who were sent away tortured, died in exile, but died, died naturally, didn't die being executed by their torture, but were tortured, exiled, died in exile, things like that. And um, they are considered to be what's called, quote unquote, white martyrs. So there are a couple exceptions of that with, of course, John being the first and foremost. But you have to, you know, the general rule for being a martyr is that you do have to actually die. Um, criteria number two, one must suffer from an enemy inflicting death in hatred of the Christian faith. Thus, the cause of any martyrdom is the truth of faith. But the true faith demands not only the belief of the heart, but also the exterior protestation. And this is done either with the tongue, whereby we confess our faith, but also by actions. In this sense, the works of all virtues, insofar as they refer to God, are a protestation of the faith and can be the title for martyrdom, as is seen in St. John the Baptist's death, suffered for condemning adultery. So that makes that fairly clear. And then criteria number three, one must accept death voluntarily. Hence, this is very interesting. Hence, if an adult is killed in his sleep for reasons of faith, without having foreseen his death, he is probably not a martyr. And, you know, yeah, that does make logical sense. So I appreciated those, those little three criterion, and we can probably put those in the show notes. Well, there's also two, two other martyrs come to mind that don't fit the typical mold. One is uh, St. Apollonius, who was 
challenged to give up his faith or be thrown in, in the bonfire there in, in I think it was I think it was Alexandria and not being sure whether or not he could resist uh, further tortures, he threw himself onto the fire and he is counted as as a martyr. Because hmm. it was pretty clear he was going to be killed if he didn't uh, if he didn't deny the faith, so he decided to go that route. Um, I've also heard I think it's Saint Philomena is considered a triple martyr because three different times they tried to kill her once by mm-hmm. arrows and the the archers let their arrows go mid flight the arrows turned around came back and hit the archers killed them second mm-hmm. attempt they tied an anchor around her neck threw her in, I don't know if it was the Tiber or in the sea. She goes under, she comes right back up, and the, the anchor almost took the boat back down in, in, in the process. And finally, they beheaded her. Uh, so she gets credit for triple martyrdom, I guess. There's there's a couple like that. Um, St. Christina of Bolsena, they tried, you know, multiple different ways to to dispatch her. And with a lot of them, the way it, it generally ends up is the, is beheading. They finally, finally kill them by beheading them. And I want to say that um, St. Agnes of Rome is is kind of the same thing. They tried to burn her, but she wouldn't burn. Um, and so then they finally, after trying and trying and trying, they finally beheaded her. Um, so yeah, that's, that's not uncommon <laughs> that are not uncommon in the, in the, in the Roman martyrology to read those instances. But the, how this ties into end times is that uh, many of the saints through Middle Ages, have they were given the, the revelation that the saints at the end times would be the greatest saints of all time. Uh, I guess another way of looking at it is that the the seats in front in heaven are reserved for the saints of the end times. And I want to say it was St. Teresa of Avila lamented that she could not live in the end times when, when even... Uh, the smallest virtue would be so heroic in the face of the Antichrist and everything that's going to be going on. She she really wished she could have been there. And, you know, it, it really makes you wonder. There there are so many people today say, I wish I could live in a time when everyone was Catholic. It's like, you know, people back then wish they could live here. So, you know, who, who should be envying whom at this point? I've never thought about it that way. That's And that also kind of implies um, that in the end times, in the times of the Antichrist, as you said, if even the smallest act of virtue is, you know, a, a radical testament to the faith, I wonder, does that, do you think that implies that the people in the end times will be judged on a sliding scale? Do you see what I'm, you see what I'm saying? That I, I might've misquoted that. I mean, it, it's because the, um, it, it, the, the final persecutions are going to be so oppressive. I mean, you're going to have... Mm. You're going to have something to the degree of Facebook plus Google plus the NSA basically doing mind reading of who's Christian. So just making any kind of witness for the faith, knowing it's instantaneously going to be you're cut off from the grid. You're going to be starved to death at worst or at, at least or tortured because they're going to be scientifically accurate about this. They're going to make you feel as much pain without being able to kill you. So they could literally martyr you over the period of 20 years mm-hmm. and making you feel maximum pain, which probably would break your mind and you would go insane at some point. How easy would it be to give in during that point? And if you did, would you even have the rationality to ever attempt to try to come back? So I I can see where, um, you know, part of me says, I hope I don't have to go through that. But at the same time, you know, God puts us in the point in time where we're supposed to be. And yeah, where, where, where evil abounds, grace abounds more. And God will always give you the ability to to save your soul whether it's now, whether it was 500 years ago, whether it's at the end times. Grace, we were, there's been a, um, you know, in the, in the aftermath, I don't want to, that word isn't quite appropriate, but in all of the correspondence that, that I've received in, since the releasing of the, the Bergoglian anti-papacy video, there's one woman who's making a really strong point that, you know, make sure that you don't forget to talk about grace, make sure you don't forget to talk about grace. And that, that point is well taken that yes, there <laughs> it's, it's going to be awful and you can kind of see, and that's kind of the next point that I want to move to on our list of topics. You can kind of see where it's going. You mentioned, you know, the whole notion of NSA, Google, Facebook, basically reading your mind and, you know, making, making thoughts criminal and what do I see on the news today? But um, Italy has refused to sign off 
on some EU law that it literally crim- criminalizes any speech against migration, just in general, the topic of people moving en masse from one part of the world, from one country into another country, unfettered, the the EU, the Soros machine, the New World Order, they are literally writing laws right now as we speak, criminalizing any speech against migration as hate speech. So what they're what they're doing is they're trying to turn absolutely everything, and I mean everything, into identity politics so that, that they can then apply this this um, this category of hate speech onto anything so that they are literally moving to criminalize any speech against the Soros New World Order agenda. You will not speak in any way against migration. You may not say anything, Italians, about the fact that your country is being overrun by these people coming up from Africa and over, you know, through Turkey and so forth and so on. You may not say anything against that or we will prosecute you for hate speech. And you're absolutely right is where it's going is it's going to be, you know, the cutting off of the bank account. This ties in with the thing that was kind of in the news uh, pretty big for the last week about how the Chinese, they are moving aggressively to set up this, what do you call it, a, a social credit score. And you, you're going to have your finances and all of that tied to these, you know, quote unquote, social demerits. So they're going to be monitoring your Facebook and monitoring this and monitoring that. And if you do or say anything contrary to the state, and we all know who that is and what that means politically, um, you know, if you say Bruce Jenner is a man, then you get a demerit on your social credit score. Um, you know, just insanity like that. And it's it's just the the what they're driving towards is just basically making it absolutely impossible for anyone who does not fully, completely, 100% toe their political line to function as a human being. I mean, you you will starve to death. You will have no way, you know, going to end times prophecy about, you know, having the mark on the right hand on the forehead and not being able to buy and sell, et cetera. Well, I, th- I think we all know exactly what that's talking about at this point. Um, so you're gonna have the social credit score and yeah, they'll get to the point where if you confess anything Christian, even even remotely Christian, you will be cut off. You will be cut off from being able to participate in society, economically, you know, transportation, anything. You're just going to be cut off. Well, you make the comment about uh, having the mark in the right hand and the forehead, and you said we all know what that means. I'm curious, though. Spell it out. What What do you think that means? Because I've got some pretty specific ideas on that one. I think it's a chip. They're doing it in Sweden. Right. Don't you and think? I was I was just thinking that in in the news earlier today. Uh, if you've stayed at Mar- if you're part of the Marriott hotel reward system or you've checked into a Marriott hotel, I think it was it at, at least prior to September 30th or something this year, 500 million people uh, were breached. Their information was breached from from the <laughs> Marriott database. Well, okay, wow. so in the future, these breaches are happening constantly. That that's a pretty big one, uh, to to put it mildly. Um, so in the future, how about instead of giving personal information to anybody to, um, uh, for traveling or whatever, how about you just scan the chip and every once in a while we change the code on the chip and we do that, Hey, buy your phone. And, you know, in terms of how would the government know to monitor you, how would they know, have an idea what you're thinking? Anybody who's seen, it's not even the high definition version of it, but your video, uh, of the Bergoglio and Mm-hmm. That was shot on an iPhone, just with ambient yeah. microphones uh, picking up the, or my, just the microphones on the phone picking up the ambient room. That thing is impressive. What it can do. Yeah, and I mean, there's remember two, two points there. If 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 uh, a government wants to track you, they can turn those things on, or Facebook wants to track you, or whoever, mm-hmm. whoever's got access to turn those microphones on. Those are some stellar recording devices. Secondly, don't take that thing into the confessional. Yeah. 
Oh yeah. I've, I think I've posted on that before. I'll dig that post up and we'll put that in the show notes. But, um, yeah, you guys, as of right now, this is the 30th of November. We haven't even uploaded the high def version of it. The, the version that's up was, it was a little over what one gigabyte that one was yes, just over the a gigabyte. It, the, the high definition one is, um, 8.5 ish. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, the high def version which is what, you know, I saw immediately when, you know, I, we did just did the playback and did the quick, the quick, um, scan of it to make sure everything was cool. And then what I had to upload to super nerd and it took like five hours. I think it took five hours for that thing to grind eight gigabytes, super high def. We haven't even released that yet. So, I mean, we've already got about 10,000 views on the video and that isn't even the final version. That's just the, that's the scrub version. And what's also weird is that we set that thing up and I thought what we were going to do is that I was going to have to take my earbud microphones and, and weave it through my jacket, through a buttonhole in my jacket and have it sticking out. And that would be the microphone that we used. We tested that and it turned out that the ambient microphone on the iPhone was far superior. Okay. Now mind blower flat flash forward. I, I've um, put out the call for a transcriptionist. I got a transcriptionist. The whole thing is going is being transcribed as we speak. Um, it's going to be translated. I've already got a volunteer who's going to do the translation into German. Um, and then it's just it's it's not terribly difficult these days to run text through you know translation algorithms online, especially for the major Romance languages. I mean, it's those things they've made so much progress on those that you can pretty pretty cleanly translate something from English to Spanish, from English to French, from English to Italian, because these are such major languages. Well, in Chinese um, as well, because Google has worked so much with the Chinese government for censorship programs. For So going back and forth from uh, English or any of the major languages of Chinese, that works pretty well, too. You're kidding. That's, that's really good to know. I'm really glad that you said that, because... I don't know if we can get the, you know, speaking completely for myself here, I think it would be really important to get that information to the Chinese precisely because of what Bergoglio is doing to the Chinese church so that they could understand, you know, Cardinal Zen has already said, I give up. I'm, I'm, I'm retiring. I'm going to go live in a monastery. I can't fight this. I can't fight this. I just saw news that one of the, the uh, actual Catholic bishops in China was just uh, kidnapped. Now that the deal is done, the Patriotic Association is officially part of the Francis Church. Uh, the actual Catholic bishops are starting to get kidnapped and disappeared. Wow, you're kidding. Who who could have possibly seen that coming? I mean, it's just like shades of Argentina. Bergoglio and having disappearings happen and turning people over to, to you know, m militaristic communistic regimes is nothing new. I'm going to do some more posting on that this week. But quickly, back to this whole issue of translating. So um, I'm sniffing around on YouTube, and I, and I say, oh, okay, captions, that's right. I, I forgot about that. You can go onto any YouTube video, and I think it, the little icon is a gear or something like that, and you push on that, and you can tell it to turn on automatically generated closed captions for the thing. I said, well, I'll take a look at that. It's probably not very good. I'll take a look at it. You guys, it's like 95% accurate. The only thing that the, the YouTube captions messed up on were purely constructed words that it just couldn't make sense of like Bergolian. You know, it couldn't figure out what I was saying when I was saying Bergolian. But, you know, I do speak clearly, and I have good diction. So especially, you know, with that iPhone mic ambient microphone, the fact that those YouTube captions are like 95% accurate, that right there to me was one of the most stunning proof sets that, yeah, you cannot be taking a phone into the confessional. Priests cannot under any circumstance have a phone in the confessional. And you, I think people now, just as a matter of policy, when you go into the confessional, I think the first thing you should do before you even start is you ask, Father, do you have a telephone on you? Do you have a smartphone on you? And if so, 
that that has to go away before before this proceeds at all. Um, I I don't think people have any idea how how fast and how far that aspect of the technology has advanced. Um, And so, you know, just finishing out the story, I think that in some countries, I don't know if this is true or not, but I think on YouTube, if you turn captions on, that you can then tell it to translate the captions into whatever language you choose. I've not seen how to do that, but maybe it's because my setup is, you know, default to English. So it's not, it's, and since the captions are already in English, it's not giving me an option to ask if I want to translate it into Spanish or something like that. I don't know exactly how it works, but I know that there are people out there. In fact, I saw, I think some, uh, there was a German website who had posted the the Bergoglian anti papacy video, and they had a set of instructions underneath that said, "Look, if your if your English isn't so good, do this to turn turn on the captions in English first, then tell it to translate to German." Um, I don't know how to do that, but I I think YouTube does that. But what we are going to have is once once the transcriptionist gets the whole thing done. What I'll do is I will post on a dedicated page the entire text of the transcript just, you know, on the website, like a blog post so that people can highlight it, copy, paste, whatever. And then anyone can take that text, highlight, copy, paste into a translation algorithm and, you know, it'll it'll spit right out. So and then probably what I'll do is, um, you know, for example, once once the guy who volunteered to do the German version, once he has his done, I'll set up a page and I'll just copy and paste his entire German text of the thing into a dedicated page. I mean, that takes up, you know, no memory, no space, hardly at all. I mean, mine as well. There's no reason not to. So I was just thinking about that, too, in terms of of what you get on the free level of the service. That's not throwing as much uh, computing power as you could put into it. And uh, I don't know if you ever saw the, the I forget which one it was, the, the Jason Bourne movies. There, were, there was one where there's a British journalist talking to his editor and mentions the word Blackbriar, which is uh, some top secret, whatever, NSA, CIA, whatever it was, some alphabet mm-hmm. secret agency code name for some assassination program. And the NSA with cooperation of the five eyes were monitoring all voice traffic going through everything. They picked up the word Blackbriar and immediately flagged and they sent a hit team to get him and see if he actually knew where Jason Bourne was. That isn't science fiction. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the thought that there are human beings sitting and listening to your telephone conversation or your Skype conversation. Oh no, 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 no. There are algorithms listening to your telephone conversations and, and your Skype conversations. Upon, depending upon who you are, there are actual operators as well. Let it never be said that the government never listens to its citizens. That's why sure. we have the NSA. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, you know, for you guys out there, workaday people, um, are you being surveilled? Yes. Are you being surveilled by human ears? Almost certainly not, but you're definitely being surveilled by algorithms. Yes. Uh, and it's not just government. Actually, it's it's more from the likes of Facebook or Twitter or any number of, I don't know, customer insight companies who want to sell you something. Uh, if, you, if you buy uh, blue jeans every, every March and suddenly at the end of February you get an email offer for blue jeans, it's because you used your affinity card the last two or three years and somebody's doing market research. Hey, Bob's about due to buy jeans again. Let's send him a coupon. Or it's it's you know eleven fifty four and you're walking by uh, the Chinese food restaurant. You get a text message: "Hey, take a right and and get five percent off Chinese food." That's real. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. That's been that's been real for about ten years. Yeah. Yep. So don't don't let anyone gaslight into into thinking that you're crazy and conspiratorial. Because I mean they they've basically come out and admitted these things. Google, Facebook all of these these entities and it's i mean where is the that line i think that people like zuckerberg want to blur that line between facebook and the government as much as possible and i think he's made quite clear that he has um 
he has political ambitions, if you could even call it that, if not tyrannical ambitions. So, well, with, yeah. with regard to Zuckerberg, I question how much he actually is driving Facebook and how much he is a uh, useful nerd. I wouldn't say useful idiot, but building a technology that um, those in more powerful positions say, oh, that's cool. Let me let me tap into this and, and do some analysis as well. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, he's he's a prototypical nerd, but but a high achieving one at that. He's, you know, one of these people who's on the autism spectrum. Uh, where in, in terms of programming, the reason I mentioned that is some, some of these autistic folks who, who get into programming, they have such single-minded laser focus. You can, they can literally go 36 hours at a time concentrating with you know, 100% of their ability working through a problem and in 36 hours get done what takes normal people like eight weeks to do. Yeah. So he's, yeah. he's, you know, it's no accident somebody like him built Facebook, but does he have the soup to the nuts, um, nefarious plans to go with it? I, I don't think so. I, w- I would look into Sheryl Sandberg and her background to see what connection she has. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's where I would start looking for nefarious connections. But in terms of Zuckerberg, he's, he's a nerd who likes building things. Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> there's a lot of people who say, you know, I hear about this autism. What, what, what is that? What does that look like? Uh, look at Zuck- Zuckerberg's uh, testimony before that Senate committee or whatever it was. <laughs> That's kind of what autism looks like or Asperger's or whatever it is. The old timer who taught me that the, the cattle business, he was somewhere on that you know, Asperger's autism spectrum because he had exactly that. I mean, he he could do things with cattle handling that like like you said he could he could work animals wild animals you know f- herds of wild reindeer and things like this for 36 48 hours straight and you know it was it was in a certain sense it was kind of superhuman because most people just become completely mentally exhausted, never mind physically exhausted, but just mentally exhausted after, you know, X number of hours. I mean, what, what's the maximum amount of time that, you know, we average people can actually do something if pushed really hard? I don't know, I'd say about 12 hours. And then you just start, you just start zoning out, you know. Um, it, but it depends he, on the circumstances. I mean, I pulled a 54 hour watch when I was in the Navy, but that was one time. Yeah, were you? Did you feel punchy at the end of it? Would you? Would you characterize yourself as like um, inebriated in a certain sense by exhaustion? Um, I wouldn't even say by the end of it. it there, there's a, a phase about twenty hours, uh, thirty hours in, where it's you realize you're awake, and and uh, the normal rules of decorum almost don't apply anymore. But we don't take it seriously either, in the sense of people are just going to say things and just. Don't ignore the the attitude because, hey, we're all tired. <laughs> Let's just get through this problem. So you're saying your inhibitions drop, like when you've had too much to drink, except you're not, you know, spatially, spatially warped or anything like that, are you? Or would it, it, you it say depends. yeah? I mean, it, the, the case in point was we were going through super heavy stormy seas, and I was the only quartermaster who didn't, uh, you know, send lunch and breakfast and, and last week's. Uh, snack ah. all, all over the the bulkhead. So uh, mm. I, I had I got the privilege of of being on watch for 50, for fifty four hours, and wow. and um yeah we you can kind of take a break at times. I mean, when you when you're trying to sail into fifty four mile an hour winds, you don't go very far every four hours. So it's kind of like okay, this is this is our rate of 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 uh, of, of of advance. You sort of have to hang around and, and fully wake up when if it all of a sudden gets calm and it's like oh hey we're actually going somewhere now. But you also have to be sufficiently aware that if something really did happen, like, I don't know, damage, and we start taking on water, you have to, like, wake up and go into damage control mode. So, I mean, it's, it's not fully locked in in the same sense that we were talking about doing high-level high focused work, but you, mm-hmm. do, you are awake. So maybe it wasn't the best analogy to make. So whatever. Yeah, throw that out. Well- I don't think I've ever been awake for, I mean, I've, I've been awake for longer than 24 hours. I've pulled all nighters and things like that working. Um, but I don't think I've been, I probably haven't been awake more than certainly not more than 36 hours. I don't think to my knowledge. Well, I don't know. Interesting. But I would, I would assume that you would get, 
you would be. Well, I mean, that's why there are all these rules for airline pilots and so forth. These very hard and fast rules that you have to get so much X hours of sleep and you have to have X hours of rest between each leg of each flight and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because you do get, you're punchy. You just get punchy. Well, so I mean, you, it get, is, you get slap happy for sure. And and uh, your reaction times aren't that great. But when you're only going, you know, three miles an hour over, over land, that's, you know, reaction times isn't really the, the primary thing. It's more how quickly can you actually go from your, your mild state of, of alertness to fully alert in case something really bad happens. And yeah, we had a pretty high confidence we could do that. Yeah. Fortunately, it I didn't have to out. find out. That's right. That's right. How do we keep well, going back to we... these naval topics? <laughs> I know. Well, you know, you've got expertise, so you might as well. Um, shall we move on to the, the speaking of the end of the world? How could you how could you have a podcast about the end of the world and not talk about the rapture? What is that? Yeah, right. Super nerd, you know, one of the only one of the very, very few people around today who has been trad Catholic since the day he was born, you probably never heard much about the rapture growing I've, up, I've did you? I've heard of it, and I there's there's some vague notion. I, I mean, I've seen the bumper stickers in case of rapture, there will be no driver at the wheel. Um, I've, I've, <laughs> seen, I've seen those jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But oh. And, you know, before Harry Potter and the, you know, the teenage vampires and all that genre of, of books, which are about the only books that sell anymore, um, I think the most popular genre of books were the, oh, what are they called? Left, they behind. Called left Behind. Left, left, left Behind. Left Behind. Yeah. And that's what that's that's what all of those books are about is this this fraud, this just abject fraud most, uh, I think most Protestants today, I would say, you know, the ones that actually go to, you know, whatever quote unquote church, be it super fun rock band or snake handling or whatever, whatever flavor of Protestant. Um, I think almost all of them now believe in this rapture stupidity. And there's a bunch of Catholics now, Novus Ordo Catholics, who they, you know, they've read the, what's the author's name? LaHaye, Tim LaHaye books and all the left behind stuff. And, Ooh, yeah, that's cool. Those are really, and because, you know, they play on emotions and all of that. And this is such a, a feminized, emotional, dim-witted society that, you know, these people read these books and, Oh yeah, that's, that's great. That's wonderful. It is a complete fraud. And, you know, I wrote a piece on this and it's, it's from way, way back. It's from before 2013 when it's, you know, the very, very old version of my website. And I actually found it online. Somebody reposted it in full. So that's, this will be a really good opportunity for me to repost this thing again. It's called the rapture scam. And, um, I'm glad you found it because I thought you were going to say, Hey, can you go find it in the archives? And I'm scratching my head saying, where did I put the backups? So I'm right. glad you found it. <laughs> no, it exists. It exists on the on the web, and this is a great opportunity for me to republish it. But um, I went back and, and reread it, and the history, it, it kind of cracks me up. So this whole deal of the rapture and all the Christians are going to be zapped, zapped away um, before the tribulation and the end of the world. Okay, this is just nonsense for, <laughs> but then, you know, these people, they either, they don't, they don't recite the creed or they don't pay attention to what they are saying. You know, this was all concocted, um, in the early 1700s. So less than 300 years ago. And this, this, um, this preacher who came up with this rapture scam, uh, every time I see this dude's name, it just, it makes me laugh so hard because it sounds like the name of like, the guy should be a strong safety for middle Tennessee state or something like that. Okay. This Puritan preacher's name was increase Mather, I N C R E A S E. So, you know, this, this Puritan woman in the, the late 1600s has a baby boy they hand her this baby boy and say, mother, what are you going to name the boy child? And Mrs. Puritan says, I'm going to name him Increase, <laughs> Increase Mather. 
not making this up. So, you know, <laughs> increase Mather um, comes concocts this money-making scheme. Oh, he's in Boston, by the way. This guy's in Boston. So he concocts this money-making scheme of this rapture that, you know, all of the quote-unquote good Christians, which oddly enough means the people that go to increase Mather's church, isn't that interesting? All the good Christians are not going to, at the, at the end times, they're not going to suffer any of the tribulation, none of that. They are going to be whisked away. They're going to just disappear um, and be raptured up into heaven. And then all of the poor schmucks who don't go to increase Mather's church and give increase Mather their money. Isn't that an interesting name? Because increase was all about basically increasing his own personal bank account. But, you know, I'm sure that's just a coincidence. Um, it almost sounds like a Disney storyline because they live happily ever after somewhere. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole thing. You know, telling people, you are not going to suffer. Give me give me money and you're in my church and we're all, we're all the good guys. And Jesus is going to come and get us and we won't ever have to suffer anything at the end of the world. Oh, because the end of the world is coming. The end of the world is coming. It's right around the corner. And, you know, that's when the whole business of setting a date, see, these con artists, they all have to set a date in order to get people to give them money and fall for this. Because, you know, if if there's no date set, then there really isn't that that visceral incentive for these people to get all worked up about this and be worrying about, you know, the tribulation and all of this. So, you know, that's where all the date setting stupidity came in. Um, so, um, so only their followers will benefit benefit. And, you know, th this is, this is coming from, this is also coming from two um, quote unquote Bible scholar preachers, Moody and Schofield. Um, Moody was a lawyer. No, Moody was a shoe salesman and Schofield was a lawyer. And they discover in, in, you know, the 1700s, they discover, or were they a little bit later? No, they're in the 1700s. They discover that this there's this thing in the Bible for 1700 years. Everyone, everyone has completely missed this third coming of Christ. See, Christ doesn't come, you know, and is at the incarnation and then returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. Moody and Schofield discover that, no, there's a secret. There's a secret third coming. And he comes, he comes before the general judgment and he raptures all the people in our cult away. Um, and so this is, this is just kept going and going because people are dumb and they don't, they don't learn, you know, that just one con artist after another comes along, beats this rapture drum, sets a date for the end of the world. It doesn't happen. Oh, well, you know, brother so-and-so's prayers spared us, spared us all, you know, <laughs> increased Mather's prayers uh, spared the world from, from a fiery end and all of this. Um, but why this is so important and why I wrote this piece railing about this back in 2011, and it's, it's even more relevant and germane right now is because what it does is it feeds into this whole notion of quietism where people say, oh, well, none of this has anything to do with me. Nope. I'm just going to go withdraw from the world. I'm going to go sit in my house. And if they're subscribing to this rapture nonsense, you know, Jesus is going to come and get me. There's not going to be any tribulation or suffering on my part. So I, I don't need to worry about any of this. None of this has anything to do with me. And so, number one, it, it entices people into this heresy of quietism. Then what happens is... Well, you call it quietism. It almost sounds like what some people are calling the Benedict Option. 
Uh, yeah, that too. <coughs> yep. Um, you know, there's not, that's, that's what's really big on the trad right right now is the, the whole notion that there's nothing we can do. Well, there's nothing, there's nothing anybody can do about this. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing anyone can do. So just, just turn your back on it and just go, you know, go sit in your house and, and stare at the walls or whatever. Yeah. Because falling um, to your knees and praying is never an option, right? That no. And, and, you know, it doesn't do any good anyway. There's, there's a blog post right now by one of these thought leaders where it says explicitly yeah, I was talking to another. I was talking to another prominent trad blogger, and we agreed that we both think that you know prayer actually really doesn't do any actual good beyond your immediate personal circumstance. And I'm just like, why? Why does anyone listen to these people? I mean, they're they're like advertising how screwed up they are. Why in the world would you listen to anyone who could even put that put those words down in writing? I mean, you're just you're blaspheming, it seems to me, against against the Blessed Virgin, against the Rosary. I mean, what? I was going to say, you... juxtapose that to Our Lady of Fatima saying that, you know, lamenting that so many souls are lost because nobody prays for them. Because nobody prays for them. Oh, it doesn't do any good beyond my own, my own personal circumstances. It just really doesn't do anything. You've got trad Catholic thought leaders, like, putting this out in writing right now. On the end, it's just absolutely stunning. And so, you know, yes, it, it, it entices people into quietism. Then what happens, especially with these Protestants, is that, you know, anything bad happens. They've been they've been told their whole life by this rapture crap in combination with the prosperity gospel crap. So she, you know, this Joel Austin, you know, um, Jesus wants to make you a millionaire with a 4000 square foot house with with granite countertops, you know, and that is the metric by which everything is measured. OK, anything bad starts happening. You undergo any actual suffering, much less much less if something catastrophic happens. I mean, what is the example that it's, that's at the forefront of suffering right now in the United States? These people in California were just entire massive cities have just been burned to the ground. There is nothing left. Hundreds of people just dead, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people dead. I've got and, to imagine there is um, a, a non-trivial amount of symbolism from from uh, the the eternal sphere that the the city that was most devastated was called paradise paradise indeed indeed it's allegorical um and so you know you've got this terrible suffering or on a on a more micro level let's say somebody gets you know cancer or some sort of a a horrible and and frankly painful um sort of a disease and they and they die and and these people who are falling for this rapture crap coupled with the prosperity gospel crap, they, they have no way of processing and dealing with suffering, much less seeing how suffering can be, you know, solitary, spiritually solitary. Um, and so this stuff starts happening. And at the end of the world, Whenever that whenever that happens, presumably, and there is the kind of mass suffering that is going to be truly tribulation. These people who are who are standing around, well, well, I was told that Jesus was going to come and rapture me home. Well, all of this crap has started happening. All this crap is happening. I'm in the midst of this tribulation. I haven't been raptured away. That must either mean that Jesus doesn't love me and I'm not saved or there is no God at all, you see. So it's just it's totally feeding into into basically how to get people to apostatize, get them completely primed to not be able to handle any suffering at all because of this garbage, because of these heresies. And then when any sort of suffering comes, much less the tribulation that will happen at the end of the world, whenever that is, all these people are just going to lose it. They're going to apostatize because of it. And that's why this is this rapture crap is so, so intensely dangerous. And it's like I said, it's almost ubiquitous nowadays among 
you know, the kind of Protestants who, who still go to some sort of a, a service on every Sunday, you know. So it's dangerous and it has to be, you know, shot down as much as we can. Not, not that we don't have enough heresy to shoot down, but I mean, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I shouldn't even joke about this because if I joke about it, it'll probably happen. But um, there's one heresy that Bergoglio hasn't spewed yet. He hasn't yet said anything about the rapture. So let, let me see if I can go on the record as, as having said that Bergoglio has not yet said anything about the heresy of the rapture. And let's just see how long it takes for him to, to be going off about that at, at some point. Nothing at this point would surprise me. Well, isn't it one of the big criticisms, though, that he is quite materialistic and along the line of thinkers that we're going to create paradise here on Earth? I, there, You could make the argument he probably will never say anything about that because he's not seeing a plane beyond. Therefore, to what would you rapture exactly? Indeed. Good point. He is completely and totally a materialist. Um, and one can honestly question whether he believes in, in, in a personal deity at all. I mean, he certainly gives lip service to this, but, you know, he denies the existence of hell. So that right there tells you that it is, it is certainly possible that in his heart of hearts, that he doesn't even believe in a personal deity. Um, I don't know. Would I, w what is, what's better for him to not believe in a personal deity, deity at all, or to actively, to actively believe in Satan and, you know, even be in service and be consciously in service to him. Um, you know, you end up, you, you end up in hell both ways, but you know, which is which is less bad? I don't. I guess that's not even a valid question. I mean, if you you end up in hell, you end up in hell. So it's a it's an equal result. But yeah, I, I it's a very valid question at this point to ask whether or not he even believes in a personal deity or rapture. Yeah, I mean, cer certainly. Yeah, if you don't believe in a personal deity, then what are you being what are you being raptured to and by whom? You know that it kind of answers its own. It the question answers itself. So that's kind of my mini rapture rant. But um, I will I will repost the entire essay in full. And I've got a note in my notes that uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. How many times okay. can I say the word note in five seconds? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, right. I don't have anything else for tonight. And um, like I, I mentioned, either. like I mentioned at the top of the podcast, this is an all new setup on my end and I'm half paranoid that I've done something catastrophically wrong. And uh, I, <laughs> we normally go 90 minutes, so I'm fine cutting it at 60 just in case. Just in case <laughs> just in there's case absolutely nothing recorded at all. <laughs> no, it's, I'm seeing the waveform. Something's recording. And the question is, what's it going to sound like when I'm done with it? So, I, Well, as I, as I said to you before we started, remember my standard. My standard is cell phone in the car calling in to an AM radio station. Um, that's, that's my recording standard. So, But as you were always quick to remind me, it's being run through a $50,000 piece of equipment to well, make a, it even an sound that rack good. of equipment. It's not just one device. Right. Well, we have faith in you, super nerd. We trust you. We, we know we are safe in your hands. Well, I'm pretty sure it's going to sound better than the first episode of the whole podcast where <laughs> it was capturing through the laptop's ambient microphones instead of the USB mic that I thought I was talking to. So yeah. at least in this respect, I know it's better than that, but I don't know what it sounds like. And um, hopefully, hopefully it'll be better or hopefully it's fine. And hopefully it'll, it, it, everyone's gonna be wondering, why is he, why is he saying this? So <laughs> I, I haven't seen the outcome yet. So I'm just nervous about it. It's It's kind of like, writing some huge application that changes all kinds of things and you push it to production, even though it passed all the tests, you're like, is it going to break? Is it going to run? I guess if you're hey, not man. a programmer, that doesn't make any sense, but whatever. We, we call you super nerd for a reason and you get paid the big bucks because you are in fact so diligent and so concerned about, you know, quality of your product. And we all appreciate it, especially me, especially me. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad I have your confidence. So <laughs> <laughs> you do, you do indeed. All right. Well, on that note, um, I have no idea when this is going to publish. Like I said, we're, we're recording uh, November 30th. Um, 
when I figure out the software and, and make the final edit, I'll get it posted. Maybe it'll be in two days. Maybe it'll be a few days longer. But in any case, the email address for the podcast where you can send feedbacks, comments, suggestions, other stories you have heard about the the rapture or feedback <laughs> on what this sounds like and whatnot to podcast at barnhart.biz. And for you audio nerds, I am recording this on Adobe Audition. So if you have tips and tricks on that, let me know. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, masses for Anne's benefactors. If you're hearing this podcast, there was a mass said today for Anne's benefactors, and every single week uh, until the rapture, until the end of the world, <laughs> there will you're be a so mass <laughs> for everybody who died the previous week. Uh, please pray for these priests; they need our prayers. Uh, every yes. bit as much as we need theirs, uh, if not more. Uh, so please keep them in, in mind. Uh, the Barnhart Podcast is a production of SuperNerd Media. If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, please visit supernerdmedia.com for more details. And that's what Robert and Kenneth did through the P.O. Box and Arthur, Matt, Camille, and Donald did via PayPal. Thank you very much. Uh, some of the things that I use the, the, those funds for is upgrading the, the system here so we can have... Um, three, four, five people on the podcast. I don't know. We, we, we've tossed around some ideas and this is uh, so that when I get everything figured out, um, everything will work perfectly. The cruel, the cruel irony. And I, I just have to say this publicly is that nobody wants to actually be publicly associated with me. I know lots and lots of people and lots of them are friends, like good friends they can't appear you know, publicly with me. So poor super nerd. I, I think super nerd should start a, you know, a secondary podcast of his own so that he can have these really nifty and cool group discussions. I think it would be, I think that would be awesome. And then maybe someday when things settle down, we can have um, guests here on the Barnhart podcast. We've had two, we've had super mommy and we also had uh, Bay McFarlane. That was, that was fun to do. So we have done it in the past, and hopefully we'll be able to do it again. Oh, Super Mom is easy. I just get up and get out of the way, and she uses the microphone. Yeah, so it, that's true. The, the hardware <laughs> upgrade here. And yes, you did out me in that respect. I am putting together plans for uh, starting a, a another podcast, and that's really the big impetus here is to be able to wire in three or four remote people and uh, have the audio sound well. And also with, with the, the, um, the video that you just recorded, uh, getting the audio or getting getting the video up to dvd grade uh the just boosting the lighting a little bit boosting the audio the, the ambient mic is good but uh running some compression and getting the audio a little more perfect so that uh it's not something you have to turn the the volume to 11 and beyond and then you put something else in and it's like oh it blows your speakers out right so the 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 quality of what's there is good just need to get it up to the top level i'm going way past the point of saying that uh this is this is part of what I'm, 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 uh, the, the funds that come into, to me, uh, of course, Anne's funds are all separated, segregated. Uh, it's, it's for, it's for the, the hardware. It's for some of the software for recording and editing this. It's for the web hosting. So thank you very much to everybody who's donated, uh, either Indeed. to this or to tiny princess, which is an entirely different thing entirely. And mm -hmm. she's, she's hanging in there. She's doing well. Uh, um, in fact, earlier this evening, she was just, you know, beatifically calm is the only way I can uh -huh. put it is, is, you know, just, calm and you know what i don't know who who looked more peaceful mom uh holding tiny princess or tiny princess with her just calm just hanging out you know relaxing and um i i, I think her mom was probably <laughs> beaming more just that because it's it's kind of rare these days that she's just that uh, tiny princess is being so calm so uh it's 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 definitely good that and mom gets that that uh consolation from time to time I think, you know, the, the listeners would, would like to hear that it isn't the fact that, um, and I asked you this question specifically, it isn't, it isn't that she cries. In fact, she doesn't cry. Um, it's that she has, she has those, um, storms of, of micro seizures. Yeah. That's, uh, that's kind not, of the issue. They're not so micro. They're it, not it, so micro. It, yeah. It's again, this is a feature of holoprosencephaly. Uh, the way one of the neurologists, um, mentioned it is, is when you do the reflex test where they bop you in the knee or right below the knee and you kick mm -hmm. once. For somebody with this, this um, it's 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 brain lack of development essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, you 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 do something like this, and the reflex they would just keep kicking indefinitely until something could interrupt that um, that feedback loop. Wow. So uh, I, I was I was mentioning to the you know another one of the features when when Tiny Princess has these you know 
heavy seizures, she'll make fists that are so tight. I can barely get, you know, a pinky in under her hands. And wow. I mentioned to the doctor, sometimes when I do that, that um, she'll calm down. You know, I get, a, I get a pinky into each fist and she goes, oh, you're probably interrupting the feedback loop. It's like, great. I thought it was just my healing touch. So <laughs> thanks for <laughs> busting my bubble on that one. <laughs> well, in a certain sense, it is a healing touch. If you weren't there to do it, then it wouldn't happen. So there you go. Yeah, somebody else might figure it out. <laughs> okay, so that was the really long version of uh, the super nerd pitch. Um, Matthew seventeen twenty. Matthew seventeen twenty intention. What I'm doing is twenty four hour full fast, no food, only water, twice a week. Um, and the intention is, and this is of course covered in the video presentation, that anti pope Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti pope, and the whole thing be nullified that Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope since April of 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace and someday achieve the beatific vision, and likewise that Pope Benedict Ratzinger repent, die in a state of grace and someday achieve the beatific vision. And, you know, nothing, nothing less than that will do. You got to get it all the way through to both men achieving the beatific vision. You can't leave it hanging, you know? So if you really want to be charitable, you got to pray for even Bergoglio as much as we personally do not like him right now. You have to, you just absolutely have to pray for the man to someday achieve the beatific vision. Even if he's one of the people that, you know, is in purgatory until, until the end of the physical universe, then so be it. But we got to get him in, into heaven somehow, some way. And the only way that we can do that is by praying. And yes, prayer actually does do something and it does good. So we've got to do that. So that's the Matthew 17, 20 intention. And as always reiterating my undying gratitude to all of my extremely munificent and lovely and wonderful and kind and supportive and prayerful benefactors. Um, mm. I wish, I wish at some point that I could get, you know, two masses a day, every day said for everybody. And then someday get three masses a day said for everybody and just keep going like that. Um, I wish I could do more. Well, isn't but, that a little scrupulous? I mean, isn't one infinity good enough per day? I don't know. You know, I just, you know, you just always want to do more. You always want to do as much as you possibly, possibly can. Maybe, and maybe there's other things, other avenues, other things I should focus on doing, but, um, I don't know. And of course, that's it just occurred to me. That's completely tongue in cheek. And since we don't have video going, you can't tell, you can't see my face that I'm being so. I can't so see your face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, talking okay. about the talk about prayer really does work. I'm going to put a link to the, to, uh, the book in the shadow of his wings in the show notes. I highly recommend it. And, uh, that's a story from world war two and up through, I think the guy might even still be alive. Um, I'm not. I'm not going to go into it anymore. Just check out the book. It's worth. Just take it. your word for it. Take your word for it. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool. All right. So until next time, um, when I hope this is recording, I, you know, I'm I'm devoting this this episode to uh, Saint Joan of Arc, who she heard voices, and um, I'm just going to hope that uh, the audio works. So if you're hearing you this, go. then <laughs> say thank you to Saint Joan of Arc for me, please. Right on. Amen. Pray for us. And I'm Ann, guys. See you next time. Take care and God bless. Bye.